0: Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley.
1: Welcome to episode 182 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. After retiring from medical practice, I became an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is a father and his accidental education in autism. Autism is a disorder that's usually first recognised in early childhood and that lasts throughout life. Autism varies from child to child in its effects. Uh, its effects, various effects include problems talking with another person, not looking another person in the eye when the person is trying conversation, saying the same sentence over and over, never learning how to talk, having to do things like lining up their pencils before they can pay attention, flapping arms to signal happiness or hurting themselves to signal unhappiness. Autism is often referred to as at least by doctors, as autism spectrum disorder because of the variations in its effects. For example, Asperger syndrome is a milder version of the disorder, which is more common in boys than girls. Autism's cause is not known despite much research. Autism has no cure, but treatment can help with behaviour and communication therapies and medications to control symptoms, though these can have undesirable side effects. But treatment may be limited in the near future by changes that are being considered for the definition of autism spectrum disorder. These changes could restrict the availability to some persons of some treatments and social services. And overall autism contains continuing creates and contains continuing challenges for family caregivers, which is why our topic today, a father and his accidental education in autism, is so important. To discuss it, our guest is Joel Yanovsky, an author and father of a son with autism. Joel's most recent book is the memoir Bad Animals, a father's accidental education in autism, which won the 2011 Mavis Gallant Nonfiction Prize and which was shortlisted for the BC National Award for Canadian Nonfiction he's a regular book reviewer for the Montreal Gazette and has won two national magazine awards as well as the Malahat Reviews Creative Nonfiction Prize Uh, he's written for various publications, including Canadian Geographic, Walrus, the Globe and Mail, the National Post, the Village Voice, Reader's Digest, and the New York Times. So welcome to the show, Joel. Hello. Hello. Hi. Now let's get started. Please, Joel, tell us more about your work and about your experience of family caregiving.
2: Um, well, my work basically is, as you, as you pointed out, I'm a writer. That's what I've been for the last, uh, 30 or so years, a little bit more than that, I guess, a freelance writer. It's kind of, uh, always, uh, I guess the, the common denominator is that I'm always writing about myself. And i I was accused actually when I did get married rather late and had a baby rather late in life that, that I was doing it just for the material. Uh, it turned out that I got more material than I bargained for. Uh, so, um, in terms of my experiences in family caregiving, I guess it's kind of divided, as autism will do, the diagnosis of autism will do. It divides it between before and after. And I think in, in my book, Bad Animals, I tried to show a little bit of both, what it's like before you get the diagnosis and what it's like after. Most of it concentrates on after, but <clears throat> there is a little section before. And before, like I said, I, I came to fatherhood rather late, and uh, uh, and then I I. Felt like I had it sort of mastered. I felt like I really knew what I was doing. It was very easy. Jonah, my son, Jonah was a pretty easy baby. Uh, we had no problems, and we were the three of us—my wife, my son, and I—were all sort of this little island, and we were very much in love with each other. And and Jonah was relatively asymptomatic in terms of his autism, so he did do things like eye, make eye contact. He does talk; uh, talks quite well. Conversation is another matter, and that's of course you don't realize that when a child's young. So so the conversation later became a problem and, and continues to be one to some extent but uh, but in the beginning, we were all one big, happy family or one small happy family i should say and and then uh, when we got the diagnosis when he was about three and a half or four, things changed and then I guess the term "family caregiver" as opposed to just the family uh, started to kick in and and then uh, then I tried to uh, to figure out what the best role for me would be and then what the best way to do that would be. And I guess that's kind of what the book's about. It like like you said, it's it subtitled the book is a father's accidental education in autism. And it was very accidental. It was me sort of stumbling along. My wife was a little more prepared than I was, a little more uh, uh, she she did the research right away. I kind of was more the it's more my personality to feel sorry for myself and mope, which is what I did, which is also sort of detailed in the book. So caregiving in terms of caregiving like this sort of serious uh dealing with autism i sort of put that off for for a while and then let that uh let myself get used to it a bit more and and try to cope with it a bit more so yeah so that's uh that's basically how uh how my sort of story began And and then that's where it went from there
1: okay now please tell us about the book bad animals and why you wrote it
2: well, I mean, it, it was kind of a natural thing. I sort of, when you're a writer, you, uh, you always have sort of two gears. One gear is you're living your life, and you're like everybody else. You're sort of in the moment. And the other gear is always sort of stepping back and thinking, as, particularly for me, as I said, I write about myself a lot, uh, stepping back and looking at it from a dis- from a little bit of a distance and thinking, how will I write about this? So I always knew I was going to write about it. But like I said, he was diagnosed around a little bit before he was four. He's 14 now. The book came out uh, two years ago. So it took me quite a while to write it. But I did know that I wanted to write the book, and I wanted to write it for a couple of reasons. In part, it was... It was for me to help myself figure out what was going on. I was, as my wife was, as we all were, my whole family was, we were quite sort of devastated by this in the beginning and we didn't know what to expect. And, and, and you know, as much as you do research and you get help from from uh, therapists and all the rest of it, we did all that. And again, it was mostly my wife who sort of arranged for all that. You still don't know what you're dealing with and nobody in the medical profession as of yet can give you a sort of real prognosis of of, of what's going to happen with a child with autism. And in fact, uh, uh, what we sort of looked when we looked ahead we didn 't know what to expect, and, and so it could have gone anyway. It, you know there is evidence that early intervention getting a child when they 're really young, perhaps even younger than Jonah was uh, is preferable i think mean, there 's lots of solid evidence for that, but other than that they can 't tell you anything so the book was a way of dealing with the kind of uh, the state I was in the sort of uh, the state of both sort of uh, confusion and mystery, and, and trying to figure out what was going on. It was also written because as a writer and as a book reviewer, as you mentioned, I'm kind of a literary journalist, a book reviewer. Uh, I've always relied on books uh, to sort of give me some guidance into what you know what to do, ne- what to do next, how to handle things. And what happened with this was that I was finding the books that I was reading about autism, and this, like I said, was ten years ago. So there were fewer of them, and there were certainly fewer there were fewer memoirs. There's a lot now. There are fewer memoirs, and there were certainly fewer memoirs by fathers in particular. A lot of those books I was reading didn 't really give me what I want didn 't really sort of resonate with me in terms of the experience I was having. I was finding it very difficult, and a lot of those books were kind of uh, the kind of books that you know basically are saying you can turn lemons into lemonade, and they were all pretty positive in what was a very difficult experience and and so So, I wanted to write a book that I thought would be more honest and that that would resonate for me certainly but also for other parents. Uh, with children with autism, and that would basically just be uh, a a memoir, a personal story i wasn 't looking i you know i'm not an expert in autism. I think sometimes i'm an expert in my son, but not entirely uh, but i'm not an expert in autism and and I wanted to write uh, write a book that was basically about families dealing with it. And I also wanted to write a book just that it was about being a father in general right. not not necessarily about autism.
1: Joel, I'm just going to step in there, and because mm-hmm. in your book you describe your struggle as a father to enter Jonah's world of autism, please tell us about Jonah's world of autism.
2: Yeah, that's kind of the, the, when I again refer to the, the this as an education. It was an education for me. Of course, we were trying all along to educate our son as well, and what you find out initially is that you are a, a, you are a part of you're no longer just a family you're now a sort of industry in which you try to get the best care for your son for your child uh and uh in our case it meant arranging for up to 30, 36 hours a week for Jonah and, and it was like um there were therapists coming in and out of our house it was usually uh we had like a team at, at the most uh, the most uh, intensive time we had a team of about Poor therapists and a consultant as well. So we'd have meetings every couple of weeks, and and we'd have people coming in and out of our house for three hour sections with sessions with Jonah, and that would go on six or seven days a week. So it was like, um, it was a full time job and a full time industry. And as a freelance writer, it was kind of difficult for me to sort of cope with that. It was also difficult to watch because it, he was doing mainly ABA therapy, and it was clear becoming more clear what his deficits were in terms of social interaction and and uh, he doesn't do a lot of the sort of typical things that you're mentioning he he looks rather uh neurotypical which is the term people use nowadays for normal which basically just means normal uh so he he does he does make eye contact like i said his vocabulary and his language is pretty good um he doesn't do a lot of Flapping of his hands or things like that, he does have repetitive things, and it's mostly repetitive language he he sort of says that he'll say the same things over and over again, and that makes again makes conversation difficult but that was the kind of world I wanted to get into, and I guess maybe one of the things that comes out in the book is that it didn't occur to me till late that the conversations we were having were really very circular and and it's always and it's partly because of his his the way his brain works he doesn't always understand things. That other people understand more intuitively. He doesn't pick up on visual uh, signals. He doesn't pick up on facial signals. So he's he's a little bit of, uh, worried about not understanding things and being sort of things being demanded of him that he can't meet. And I think that's one of his great concerns. I would compare it, living here in Quebec, I would, as an Anglophone, I would compare it to, uh, to somebody who doesn't speak another language, in this case French. If you don't speak French very well, and you're speaking to somebody in French, you're trying to speak to somebody in French, what you'll often do is try to sort of shortcut the conversation, sort of try to get around it quickly. Uh, you'll nod and say yes to things when you don't quite know what's being said. And there is a little bit of that in Jonah's conversation, is that he wants to sort of control the conversation. He wants to get through it as fast as possible, often. And so he doesn't want to engage the way most other people do and other children do. So that's that's been really the main thing because that inhibited, inhibits uh, social interaction. It inhibits uh, his educational because he's quite smart, but it inhibits him sort of in classrooms. Uh, it inhibits him with making friends, which has always been difficult for him. And also <clears throat> you realize with autism that, uh it basically means uh sort of that retreat into one's own world and and Jonah was doing that at a young age uh, we were doing our best to sort of yank him out of that world if that's the way to put it and we were doing our best to sort of uh, keep him present as much as possible and that's an ongoing thing that never that never stops even though he's 14 now and and he's you know he's more social than he was but it's still an ongoing uh struggle
1: now it is a struggle for us just at this particular moment because uh, the tyranny of time dictates that we have to take the break to pay the rent. So uh, we'll do that now. This is no. Dr. Gordon Neville. My guest is Joel Yanofsky. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We will be back.
3: Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When you look at something that's been designed, whether it's clothing, architecture, or a work of art, do you stop and wonder about the inspiration and thought process that went into the design? Tune in to Dishing the Dirt on Design. With hosts Ann Asher and Eleanor Schrader-Shapa, we'll take the mystery out of the creation process, along with revealing the backstory from art to fashion to travel and so much more. Listen to Dishing the Dirt on Design every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com
0: You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
1: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Joel Yanofsky. Our topic is a father and his accidental education in autism. Let's talk about the challenges for family caregivers caring for children with autism spectrum disorders. So, Joe, please talk. tell us about the challenges that you call the daily frustrations and what these are.
2: Well, I guess what I mean by daily frustrations is is very much what I wanted to capture in the book. Again, a lot of the books that I was reading, uh that I've been reading about autism at the time, were were about sort of big breakthroughs or very difficult, you know. Uh, Terrible moments in which kids have horrible tantrums and and do in fact try to harm themselves and stuff like that, but I wanted to talk about the small frustration so uh, so I focused on and that 's again sort of relates to the kind of writer I am and I guess the kind of literary. Critic I've been, I, I like books that sort of focus on everyday life and on every, and make sort of drama out of the most mundane things. So there was an element of that. But it was a way of just focusing on the little things that you notice every day and, and, and it was in part to let people know that, that, that dealing with autism, uh, is a roller coaster ride, and that's kind of the first thing you learn, is that you're, you're up one day, you're down the next, it can, all, it can all sort of happen in the same day, you can lose your patience, and, and uh, lose your, your ability to cope uh, one hour, and then the next hour it sort of returns, so it is kind of that kind of aspect that I wanted to show, so I have scenes, in, for example in which uh, I'm trying to get Jonah to get up in the morning, and he's not having a good morning, and he's he's having a difficult time, and I'm trying to get him ready for, for school, and I'm sort of going through all the various things that I'm supposed to do that I know I'm supposed to do as as, as somebody who's uh, relatively trained in, in the kind of therapy he's doing, which is called ABA, Applied Behavioral Analysis, which is the sort of the most, um, the most used, I guess, or the most recognized treatment for autism at a young age. Anyway, I'm trying to go through all those things, and uh, and it's not quite working because real life has a way of intruding on on behavioral analysis. It sort of, uh, it, it sort of throws you for a loop, and so, so it's those kinds of things. There's other moments, like when um, I was trying to make him breakfast or something, and and I dropped the bottle of maple syrup and and it's a very diff- I realized it's a very difficult thing to clean up maple syrup and glass at the same time and Jonah meanwhile was finding the whole thing very funny it was a somewhat inappropriate reaction but not entirely because I did look kind of foolish but he was trying to sort of uh engage me in in the joke and and I was Worried about him stepping on the glass, basically, so I started yelling at him. So it's those, those kind of little things, doing homework with him, trying to teach him to, to, to use a swing or to, I mean, monkey bars or whatever. All those little things are all contained in the book, and that was, uh, what I wanted to you know, sort of show to people is that the kind of things that they're doing, not the kind of dramatic overly dramatic things that I was reading in other books or, or that you sometimes see in movies. Uh those weren't the things that make up everyday life and those aren't the real things that are difficult to deal with. I wanted to make those things interesting, I wanted to make them as much as I could humorous because they sometimes are very funny. Uh I wanted I wanted to have a book that was was basically uh a more uh, more a work of literature than a self help book. So so all that went into describing those scenes and describing those those daily frustrations. Right. Uh, now,
1: yeah. I'd like to ask you how you responded to those challenges, those daily frustration challenges. How did you respond and how do you respond?
2: Well, as you might have already guessed, I didn't respond well at times. Uh, somebody once, when uh, early on when I wrote, I wrote an essay that sort of became part of the book and it, it won a, uh, sort of a local prize here, and I was interviewed on the radio uh, about it, and the, the interviewer was actually a pre-interview, the kind of interview you do before when you want to know what the person is going to talk about. And the interview asked me, has this made you a better father? And I know what I was supposed to answer. I was supposed to answer, yes, of course, it makes you sort of, you, you deal with things that are more, you, you get stronger, and you, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and all that kind of uh, cliché. Uh, but it occurred to me that moment, and I guess it had occurred to me before, it occurred to me that moment that no, this had not made me a better father. Dealing with with my son's autism had not made me a better father, because I thought, like I said, that I was pretty good in the beginning. I, was, I thought I had it down pretty good. It had made me a better father, and it wasn't just me beating up on myself, because there is, I guess, some of that in the book. There's a certain amount of self pity and sort of anguish in the book. But it wasn't just that the reality was that it was just so difficult and again this is what i hope and i know that some of the people who've read the book and who've talked about the book who've reviewed the book have noticed that it's it's just dealing with it as honestly as possible it's just it's just a very hard thing to do and it's also not what you expect the difference for example between a diagnosis of autism and the diagnosis for example of of down syndrome you know it's all in the special needs spectrum, but, but the difference is you kind of know from the beginning what your situation is with, with something like Down syndrome, whereas with autism it sort of comes on you pretty fast, and like I said in Jonah's case, it was really night and day. We didn't really, uh, we were first-time parents, we didn't really see that there was anything wrong. It was just later on we started to notice that he was having trouble relating to other kids, so... So all this stuff just changes your expectations of everything right away, and, you're, and a lot of what the book's about is, is the disappointments that go with being a parent, and, and these aren't particular to either special needs parents or parents of kids with autism. All parents go through it. It's just that when you when you go through it with autism, uh, you go through it faster and uh, exponentially faster, I guess, and and you have to deal with it quick sooner, and, and all those sort of dreams that you have for your kids or all the things you expect of them sort of start to change immediately. They change kind of overnight, whereas, you know, most people will adjust to the fact that they're, that they're going to disappoint their kids and their kids are going to disappoint them. So really, parenthood is that, that longer journey, whereas with, with something like autism, it's, it's an overnight, it feels almost like an overnight reality that you have to face.
1: Joe, please tell us what you learn from other parents. Of children with autism spectrum disorders.
2: Yeah, that that's a very good question, and that's that's uh, something else that that I sort of uh, emphasize a little bit in the book. Uh, that the best advice we got, really. I mean, we went to immediately when you find out, you go to lots of specialists and you go to. Occupational therapies and, and uh, speech therapy, and you have your child's hearing tested. You have all these other things done that are kind of tangential to, to autism, but that have some significance. And, of course, you, you arrange for your own. You go to psychologists and psychiatrists and the, and the wide panoply of, of, uh, of experts in the medical field, the so-called experts, I would, I would probably say. Uh, but it's really the people who have gone through this a little more and who have dealt with both the uncertainty and the difficulties of dealing with experts sometimes uh, that were the most helpful to us. I remember in particular there was a couple who we didn't know that well. They'd sort of, uh, I think the wife uh, of this couple had been in, had a, child with, they had a child with autism, and the wife had sort of come onto our team in a way of helping Jonah, but she was just kind of there as an observer, as a volunteer. And one night they took us out to dinner, we got a babysitter for Jonah, and she and her husband, who was also, I think, a doctor, he was a uh, cardiologist, I think, they took us out out to dinner and uh, and just let us, you know, just told us what it was going to be like a little bit. Their son was a little older than Jonah, was doing very well, in fact, and, and they sort of gave us some sense, not just of hope, uh, there's that too, but some sense of that you get through this, and I think now when, you know, I often get people who are buying the book or coming to see me to, to talk about the book... Uh, They'll come up to me afterwards and tell me stories about, you know, having just had their child diagnosed, like just recently, like a day or two or a week or so before. And I really feel very strongly for them because that is the, the hardest time. It's really, it's, it's, it's so hard to sort of adjust to that and cope with that. And, uh, and I hope that either by talking to them or by them reading my book, that they'll get some of that kind of thing that we got from other parents. And it was other parents, uh, probably more for my wife than for me. I tend to isolate myself, and part of writing the book was isolating myself. Uh, it's been very helpful to sort of talk to other parents and deal with other parents uh, on this subject. So that that's always been a great help, and I do think that in some respects we are the experts. The parents are the experts because we're with our children 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and so we we get to know them. We get to be experts, at least in them. So uh, so the thing about autism that's important to remember, and something that I'm, I'm it's not original to me. I heard somebody say it once, or I read it somewhere, is that if you know one child in on the autism spectrum disorder, you know. One child with, If you know one child with autism, you know one child with autism. So uh, so it's always, uh, it's always different, and, and the situations are always different. There are always some kind of broad similarities between these kids, uh, but each one is different. Each one is an individual, even within that, that autism diagnosis.
1: Please tell us, uh, give us another example of what you learn from talking with other parents.
2: Well, I guess the other thing I learned from talking with other parents is that, you know, it's it's going to be a a a long struggle and uh and it's not going to it's it, you know, on the one hand things get easier, but they're not going to ever be that easy. And one of the things that that you don't always hear from other people or from the experts in the field is that uh it you know it gets easier in some sense because you learn to cope with it better but it doesn't always get easier for your child and that's probably more important because the older they get in fact and and Jonah as i said sort of appears you know quite quite neurotypical in lots of ways but the older they get the less they'll fit in and so so you you sort of learn this by by watching other parents by their example and by seeing how they deal with it and, and it it's a it's a difficult process to get used to that because in some ways you know, basically what autism is, is, is a developmental delay. So, so as one parent told me once, the word delay is kind of misleading because you sort of feel like, okay, there's a delay, but they're going to catch up. But it doesn't quite work that way. So sort of the gap between your child and, and, and his friends and his peers and the rest of the world tends to widen. And so you have to do everything you can as a parent, as an advocate and as a parent, to sort of fill that gap.
1: I've heard on this show in various contexts, Joel, this very point that one of the things that family caregivers need to do is to talk with other family caregivers um, about to share experiences, and in particular for family caregivers who are, so to speak, just setting out on the journey to hear from those who are well-travelled on the journey. And then what happens, and I think this applies, if I may say so, to you, the people who have travelled far on the journey kind of stop, look over their shoulders, and reach out to help the people who are just starting out. Uh, Do you agree with that analysis, and is there any way you would want to change it?
2: No, I I think that's probably still the best that's what I would recommend, to, again, to those people who come to me who are in the early stages. I sort of offer myself, or, or often I offer my wife as a, a sounding board if they, want, if they want to call us, if they have any questions. We can tell them something about sort of, you know, um, uh, places they can go and people they can see. But it's not really about that. It's about just sort of letting them know that the path you know, has been trod before by other people before us, obviously, uh, and so and so you will, you know, you will get some, you will make some progress. It won't be easy, but you'll make some progress. It's not quite as dark as it is. At that moment, and it's really only parents who can do that because you you don't, the fact is you don't, from doctors, you don't always get that. In fact, sometimes doctors are more uh, reluctant to tell you, you know, how difficult it's going to be, and they want to sort of give you uh, a, a more ha- a happier scenario than, than is true to, to the case. So uh, so that becomes a problem sometimes. And so you need somebody to both sort of, you know, parents serve sort of both, both sort of functions. They give you hope and they also ground you in reality.
1: Yeah. Now, we're going to take the break again um, because this is, a, this is a point at which I think we should break. Um, so this is Dr. Gordon Atherley and my guest is Joel Yanofsky. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We'll be back because we've more to discuss.
0: Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN.
3: Very rarely does our news media spotlight some of the good things that are happening in our world. For more of these good stories and the people that are creating them, tune in to Bread for the Journey with Mariana Cacciatore. Whether these good acts stem from personal tragedy or just a desire to help out and make this a better world in which to live, you'll find inspiration in every week's program. Connect with those that are doing something great for a change. Listen for Bread for the Journey, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, Noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
0: You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
1: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Joel Yanofsky. Our topic is a father and his accidental education in autism. Let's talk, Joel, about the role of family caregivers caring for children with autism spectrum disorder. You've already said several things about this, but I'd like you to say more. So first of all, what do you see as the role of family caregivers caring for children with autism spectrum disorders?
2: Well, there certainly is an element of advocacy involved and then, and it, it is an uphill battle and uh, probably can talk more a little bit later about the healthcare system itself and how it's uh, found wanting sometimes, but it's that that advocacy again that that is so important because uh, and we had the experience part of what the book's about it. And I mean, it's like I said, it's partly my education, but it's also Jonah's education. And the book is is set during a period of one year when he was in a a regular school. He was in a regular school for his for his elementary education. He's he's now in a special needs school where he's where I think he's doing better and he's happier. But towards the last two years, it would, here it would be grade five and six of elementary school, he, uh, he started to have problems, and we started to have problems with the school. And it was really a question of them just not listening to us and not being sort of... Uh, uh, and seeing us kind of as, uh, as troublemakers. Sometimes as a parent, you get stigmatized. Uh, as a, a parent or a caregiver, you get stigmatized as quickly as your child does. And in the same way, you sort of get... The role of troublemaker, but the fact is you have to speak out for your, for your child and again it's it 's my wife Cynthia who 's done much more of that than than I have. Uh, I tend to just get mad and sort of uh, have a temper tantrum more like my son I guess than she is but um, but um, so she, so she sort of has been a big advocate with with um, with um, teachers and, and the education system we've also since the book came out we've also had the chance to, to talk to to doctors, which has been a great sort of uh, a great for us, particularly young doctors. Uh, one of Jonah's... Uh, Jonah's, uh, Jonah's pediatrician now is a woman who's dealt a lot with kids with special needs and particularly with autism as it's kind of uh, become more and more of a problem. And uh, she wasn't our pediatrician until she actually read the book. One of her students had contacted me about signing the book for her. And I did that, and then we got in touch and we ended up sort of switching pediatrician, so she became Jonah's pediatrician. And she's very... Uh, she's a very uh, important sort of uh, advocate for the book, certainly, as she told a lot of her students to read it to get a parent's point of view, and and then then she invited us to speak to to some doctors that she knew or a group of doctors, and that was a good way to sort of see inside the healthcare system a little bit and see how how doctors deal with it. Um, so that that's really that kind of advocacy is is sort of at the core of it. I've done as much as I can with the book. I'm not kind of person who does it one-on-one, I suppose. Uh, my wife's done more of that. Uh, the other thing, I suppose, with with the role of family caregivers is just to be as open as possible and also just to try. Writing the book for me was a way to try to understand my son, try to, to, to deal with him better than I was dealing, because sometimes uh, it was hard to tell who had more temper tantrums, like i said i would I would sometimes not be able to just cope so so writing the book was a way of trying to understand him better and 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 it 's hard because it is it 's it 's a person that you' you 're sort of not prepared for sometimes, and so so you try to sort of deal with it as best you can but but um but patience i guess obviously tolerance uh An understanding of of his own worth and his own differences is something that that is is difficult at first to work on because we're not used to it. It is a little bit like being in a a different world. Uh, But as you go along, you get to know your kid better and and you get to know his his personality better. And it's not part of it is his autism and part of it's not. So so you try to sort of learn as you go. It's it's an ongoing education for everybody, for him and for us.
1: Joe, you mentioned doctors healthcare system social systems and their uh, perceptions how in general do the healthcare people social systems maybe educational systems as well see the role of family caregivers and what do you, what do you think about the way healthcare and social systems see the role
2: yeah i mean that's a big question and i think i uh, i, I Gather, it's changing a bit. We also spoke to a group of young doctors, young pediatricians, and they were much more, under, and their their teacher as well as they were much more open to sort of including the parents in the, in the process. The problem with autism in particular is that it has a very uh, checkered, if not tragic, history in terms of, of dealing with parents. Uh, back in the 60s, I guess, it was back in the 60s where a, a rather well known psychoanalyst named Bruno Bettelheim came up with the theory or, or advanced the theory of, of refrigerator mothers. And this was blaming all of autism. It was kind of, again, a psychoanalytical point of view. And this was blaming autism on mothers who were cold and distant, which was both a crazy theory and proved wrong in, in a number of years, uh, but also. Incredibly cruel because it was really sort of, uh, not understanding either how autism works or how these mothers were coping, trying to cope with their children. So autism has a very checkered history and, and, uh, one of the other things we were talking, we were talking before about what would you tell parents. One of the things I would tell them was not to, to put too much faith in people who think they know better than than the parent does, because most people don't. There is a, and I sort of tell this story, this quote in the book about a a famous Hollywood filmmaker, screenwriter named William Goldman, who wrote Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and All the President's Men and some other movies. And he was once asked about how things work in Hollywood, and his response was to say that nobody here knows anything. And as you progress... As a parent of a child with autism, you begin to realize that that's pretty much true in the field of autism, too, because as you said, there's no, they don't know what causes it. Nobody knows what causes it. There is no known cure. They have sort of ideas, but they're all just theories, and they're all, you know, they're theories that come and go for the most part. Uh, so, so that's part of the issue is that you, you, you know, I'm much more comfortable with people. Who will tell you right off, so called experts again, who will tell you right off that they don't know, but they'll, you know, they're willing to try different things uh, than people who sort of act sometimes the way that, that, you know, the medical profession does, which is to sort of tell you what's good for you. Now, when it's, a, you know, when it's, a, when it's something like diabetes or, or cancer or something like that, they probably do know better than you. But when it's something like autism, they probably don't because it's, it's a much more open field. The brain itself is much less. Uh, known Things about it are less, much less known. Certainly with autism, the idea of early intervention is very important, but there's also more and more theories now that say that the brain is, is uh, more plastic than people thought, that it, it grows and, and, and learns more than, than people thought. It doesn't stop at a certain given point. It doesn't stop at the age of five, for example. Kids continue to learn and learn in different ways, and that's something else that we've discovered.
1: Now, you've described the role of family caregivers, isn't a couple of things that you mentioned one is advocate and the other is if I may put it this way the real expert of the real observer the, the eyes and the ears of what's actually happening in to their child with um, autism so those things and other parts of their role what help do family caregivers need in fulfilling that role and where do they find that help?
2: Yeah, it's probably pretty simple, and it's probably not that different than, than any other medical situation where I think patients, or in this case, parents and, and children too, uh, just need to be listened to. I mean, and, and need to be heard. And 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 uh, and there is a, there is an aspect in terms of autism treatment where there's a kind of, and again, this sort of comes up a little bit in the book where there's. There's kind of a feuding attitude between groups where one group thinks they have the right answer another group thinks they have the right answer. And in some cases, if these groups kind of were able to sort of amalgamate their their beliefs or their theories, uh, it would probably be better for the child. And again, the notion that that, you know if you met a child with autism, you met one child with autism you only met one child with autism sort of comes into play because every child is different so the treatment has to be tailored to the particular child. Uh, I met somebody afterwards who was also kind of on the book tour and written a book about autism and um, I'm going to get the title wrong but the, the author's name is Jonathan Alderson and he's a Toronto writer uh, Toronto doc- therapist and writer and he uh, he wrote a book about the seven myths of autism and and he also what he tried- to do in his practice is amalgamate all the different areas of, of, of treatment, and that seems to be a much more sensible way of doing it, particularly when you don't know that one particular treatment is going to work for one particular child at one particular time. So there's that aspect of it that would be very helpful if there was more give and take. Even now, uh, with, the, with the school system that we dealt with before, they, the, the, the school system that's described in the book, they just weren't listening to us. They, again, sort of labeled us troublemakers. The school that Jonah's in now, which is a much more uh, open school and uh, 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 much more uh, sort of open to special needs kids. It is a special needs kids school, uh, school for special needs kids. After all, uh, you do get more sense that they're listening to you and that they know that you can help them with things. I mean, we knew things, but how to sort of deal with my son's behavior that that other people didn't know, and they weren't listening to us you know, oftentimes. So, so it's it's mainly comes down to that. It comes down to listening, I believe.
1: Comes down to listening. And it comes down, I think, Joel, to family caregivers individually, you know, in family terms, and also collectively, having a voice in a political sense or a social sense that gets listened to. In other words, they're seen as people with something to say that's important in the situation of their, of their children, particular children, but also in the situation of autism generally. And if I can just say perhaps it's time for family caregivers with autistic children to unite. That's going a bit far perhaps, but what do you think?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, even more than that, I guess it it, is. I just finished uh, uh, reviewing a book for for the uh, sort of a a mini review for the New York Times uh, online, and it was a book uh, which is uh, getting a lot of Publicity now called um, Far from the Tree" by Andrew Solomon, and uh, he wrote about the fact that uh, it's. He's kind of his his basis of his book is that it's time for for everybody who's different to unite because uh, in some ways the different uh, outnumber the ordinary or the average or the normal so called. So so, but certainly with autism, that would be a great thing. And, and again, the problem sometimes becomes. Uh, all the, the The fact that it is a spectrum, and kids are at different levels, and some kids are doing well, and some kids are not doing so well, so there 's always that kind of friction in it uh, but certainly there is there is a sense of uh, a tribe I know that uh, with other parents that there is a sense of of a tribe mentality where you do know that nobody else is going to understand you the way a parent with another child is not. Not other members of your family, not close friends. They're not going to understand what you're going through the way the other other people do. So, so certainly, if there if there could be more of that, that would be good. It's uh, and certainly if it could be put tor- tor- turned towards uh, political action or, or action within the healthcare system, that would be good too. Uh, the fact is, uh, autism is getting you know even ten years ago when when we were dealing with it first, uh, it was. Starting to grow and now it's it's you know unfortunately there's more and more cases of autism there's more and more of a public view of autism certainly in the popular culture uh, that I see uh, in in books and in movies and all the rest of it so it's becoming more and more well known before that you know was basically just people's conception of autism was just Dustin Hoffman and Rain Man and, and that's certainly changed lately
1: I'm going to stop us there because again, it's the time for the break, but we're going to come back to some of the Unite things, I think. Uh, this is Dr. Gordon and My guest is Joel Yanofsky. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We're coming back.
0: future of online tv is here view exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else visit voiceamerica.tv today
3: what does a visual workplace mean to you how does it contribute to operational excellence and what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place listen to the visual workplace work that makes sense to find out Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace to speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com
0: you are listening to family caregivers unite with dr gordon Atherley. if you have any questions or comments about our program please address them by email to doc at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
1: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Joel Janofsky. Our topic is a father and his accidental education in autism. Um, Joel, let's talk more about help for family caregivers in their role Um caring for family caregivers themselves and for their children with autism spectrum disorders. Um, So, first question to you is, what more do you want to do and to see done to help family caregivers?
2: I guess the the most, I mean, I haven't gotten to this point yet, but the the most simple and, and obvious, solution to the problem, not solution to the problem, but sort of the way to deal with the problem, is to include autism autism treatments in, in Medicare. Uh, certainly in this country, that would be a, a huge boon. And, and, and it would be, it would, I mean, I understand why the government's not doing it in some cynical way, because it, it would be very expensive. Like I said, the kind of treatment that's approved for somebody like my son or other and kids who are, you know, pretty much on the spectrum would be that kind of 36 hours of, of therapy uh, a week when they're, particularly when they're very young before they start regular school. Uh, that's obviously going to be very expensive for anybody uh, to do, but it's, again, one of those things where there's no sort of long-term vision of, of what's going to happen to these kids. That's still a big issue that, you know, we, we haven't talked about what happens when these these kids grow up and get older. And, and that's, you know, where that's occurring for us, obviously, now. And Jonah's 14 years old, so we sort of worry about his future. And it's going to cost the government more money in the long run if they don't. Help these kids get better and they, we've seen that they can help get, be helped get better. And even the kind of treatment that is available, certainly here in Quebec, it's been very difficult. We started, you know, private, private therapy for Jonah right away as soon as we found out that he, he was on the spectrum. Uh, we were also scheduled for an appointment with the, with the healthcare system to get some sort of relief from them. And that, that appointment didn't come for another year and a half. So uh, we were lucky. We were sort of financially able to do it. We got help from family members and all the rest of it. I mean, we couldn't have done it ourselves. Uh but what about people who don't have that sort of safety net, who don't have that kind of support? They have to wait a year, a year and a half for, for, a, for a first diagnosis. For They are may be waiting just for a diagnosis for a year and a half. And that is not only crazy, it's, it's, it's criminal. I mean, it's, it, particularly when you know that early intervention can make a difference, it's, it's a terrible thing to put people through. And the helplessness that people feel that they can't do anything because they can't afford it or because they don't know what to do. Uh, would be alleviated if if there was a more uh, just way of dealing with this problem, and and it is it is a big problem. I mean, I, I know there's statistics that say that autism is more prevalent than you know in childhood disorders more prevalent than cancer, diabetes, and something else combined. I can't remember the other one, but uh, but it's uh, it certainly is more prevalent, and I think we're just sort of uh, making it so our, it's tougher for ourselves as a society down the road if we're not going to both. Help these people and also welcome them into society. That's also part of it, I guess. How do how do we integrate kids with with these kinds of disorders into society? Right. And, and that would be much more helpful if the healthcare system paid more attention to it.
1: What more would you like to see done by the healthcare professions to help family caregivers?
2: I guess a little bit of this is what I've already said: is that, it, that I want them to listen. Obviously, I want them to take our. You know the parents' point of view more to heart, um, but I, I'm seeing more and more that, that there is there is that that sort of op, more open attitude as as autism becomes not maybe more understood but more prevalent. There is more of an a, attention to the details of, of dealing with it. Um, I'm not sure what else I can say that I haven't already said about that, but but I guess I would like uh, I would like again that that aspect of of making sure the parent feels heard and understood and, and finding a way to sort of incorporate these kids into society too, as I said.
1: Right. Joel, what about the family caregivers themselves? Could the health care professions do anything to help them? Um, what about the health of family caregivers? What about the stress and, and strain, in any sense you care to define it, on family caregivers? Could yeah. health care professionals be any, any help to family caregivers in those ways?
2: Yeah, there is there is a lot of stress, and that certainly builds up. And and one of the things we ended up doing, I hadn't myself been to to a psychologist or a therapist uh, uh, before this this occurred. But but my actually my GP recommended because I was going through a lot of stress. Uh, I was physically finding it very difficult to deal with, uh, as well as emotionally and mentally. Uh, so I did, see, I did go see somebody. My wife and I went together to see family counseling. Another thing is the toll it takes on marriages and families is, is, is quite well known. Uh, it does, uh, does make it very difficult. In our case, I think it actually brought us together, made us stronger. We, there is a sense where you become a team, and and you were a team before, but you're also a stronger team later on. So so there is that sense that we're sort of all in this together. Uh, but I think uh, and and we do. There is money available, uh, different sort of social social uh, uh, policies for for. Uh, what's called reprieve money or or, or or something like that so you can sort of do you end up spending the money on other things obviously but, but there is a notion that there is stress and certainly uh, other family members can help too uh, we have a, a really good support system with Jonah and uh, my wife's gra- my wife's parents Jonah's grandparents are very involved in, in his his life as are my sisters his aunts so, uh, so that's something too that you can ask for help from other people it doesn't have to be just the healthcare system. Not everybody's lucky enough to have this. As as I said, sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's just somebody who will sort of, you know, take your your child for for an evening so you can get out and have some freedom because it is a much more intensive uh, relationship as a parent with a child. You're much more attached to each other than with other children, I think, in the sense that other children make friends and, and, and have sort of social lives that are more active and more involving than, than, than this case with a child with autism. So you're pretty much your child's best friend as well as everything else. And sometimes that can be stressful and, and become a strain. So, so that kind of network, if you can make that kind of network for yourself, outside the social and medical system, but into a, a sort of family system or friend system, uh, is, is something I would recommend.
1: Okay. Now, final question. What's your message for the family caregivers?
2: Well, I guess it's, it's kind of the message that, that I learned through writing the book, through writing Bad Animals. It was that uh, I started off the book being quite hard on myself and being hard on, on all the things that I felt I was doing wrong and, and all the things I felt were going wrong and, and, uh, and just my inability to sort of deal with it in a, in a more patient Reasonable manner because it didn't feel like it, it called for those kinds of things, uh, and even even my you know uh, sometimes not being so hard on my child. I mean, it, I could sort of get very disappointed in him, and then I had to sort of learn to sort of measure that disappointment. And 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 the great thing sometimes about this, which is maybe sounds a bit odd, but the great thing is you learn to appreciate little things and the little things that they do and the little little moments of of sort of. What I call the old normal, where they 're just regular kids, and there are a lot of those moments you just don 't always see them at first, so i guess and as the book sort of progressed, and as my sort of journey on this particular uh, story progressed, uh, what I guess I learned was was not to be so hard on myself, and I would sort of pass that along to other parents too it's it 's going to be difficult you 're going to have your ups and downs, days are going to be like I said roller coasters one day you're you're going to be up next day you're going to be down and you're not going to always know how to to sort of deal with things um but just hang in there i guess the, the main thing is to sort of hang in there and not be too hard on yourself
1: and i guess it's right isn't it joel that the best people to hear that message from are other family caregivers who've traveled the same road is that right
2: yeah that 's right because the fact is you won 't hear it from anybody else uh, that 's not something that, that you 're going to hear from most other people and, and you 're not going to hear it from, you could hear it from family members but or, or even from medical people but but it 's not going to have as much resonance because uh, you, again you need like you said those people who who 've traveled down the same road as you right
1: now this is a little bit pushy on my part, but that's what the purpose of Family Caregivers Unite with the exclamation point is, is to give voice to people like you, Joel, family caregivers, who've been there and done that in the very best sense of the word so that they can communicate with each other. And that's one of the benefits of the internet radio system because we we don't have to be uh, famous broadcasters or stars of stage screen and radio but we can speak and share our thoughts in the way that you've just done with us so i want to say thank you very much for that i wish you. you, you you and cynthia your wife and jonah everything that's good success happiness a sense of achievement overcoming challenges and i hope too that what um You've been saying and sharing with us so openly is an inspiration to other listeners who need to hear from people like you. So if I say all success to you in your work, I'm also saying that I'd be very glad to help again. If you think it would be useful to have another of these episodes, please just get in touch with me because I'd like to do it for you and for everybody else who's traveling this road, uh, regardless of the stage at which they've reached now i also want to say thank you to our listeners Uh, we'd like to hear your comments on this episode and from our listeners i'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show Um, in our next episode um, we're going we'll talk about hope and healing for family caregivers caring for family members with alzheimer's disease Um, so please join us same time same spot on the internet talk to you then
0: thank you again for joining us this week for family caregivers unite with your host dr gordon Atherley. please tune in again next tuesday at 10 a.m pacific time 1 p.m eastern time on the voice america variety channel and until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and
2: more hopeful. And I do
0: appreciate you being mine.